Rewind. Your Week in Review is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association. Bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association. The voice of real estate. This program is brought to you from Wisconsin Eye's Margaret Farrow Studio. This week on Rewind, your week in review, the fight against PFAS contamination in Wisconsin, how some Republicans are pledging to take action after party leaders rejected some key initiatives over the last few years. Plus, the Republican Party of Wisconsin files a complaint against a state Supreme Court candidate for speaking out about issues that are likely to come before the high court. And criminal justice groups sued to block two ballot referendums poised to appear on the April ballot. All this and more on Rewind, your week in review for February 3rd. <coughs> Hi, I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. J.R., let's start with uh, PFAS contaminations mm -hmm. because it was one of the first informal hearings that the Senate Natural Resources Board or community committee had on the issue in quite some time. And then we heard from the chair afterwards him kind of signaling that he wants to possibly consider Governor Tony Evers' proposal, budget proposal that would aim to tackle PFAS contaminants and, and include more for testing and sampling across the state. So what he said now is his main goal, and the individual I'm talking about it is Senator Robert uh, Coles. He wants to kind of convince his colleagues to, to believe that PFAS is kind of a big issue and that we need to tackle it and that it should be a priority when crafting the next state budget. I spoke to him after this committee hearing and he said, you know, it kind of takes a while to educate members, but he also kind of gave a hint that he wants to really include this in the next state budget and will at least consider Governor Evers' proposal. So let's first take a listen. If there's going to be a piece of legislation, I think there will be, you got to get support in those committee members. So you got to have the whole committee. So they all had a chance. I'm glad they all showed up and there were a lot of great questions. You know, there's still going to be uncertainties in different areas. But now we've got a, a better baseline of understanding. But overall, I see that, you know, the, the PFAS, the governor's plan, I think, you know, without knowing all the fine points, I think we got a pretty good chance of making it happen. This conversation comes a week after Governor Evers delivered his State of the State address and he called PFAS a pressing threat to the state's economy. We also know in the past Republican lawmakers haven't really shown so much interest in providing funding uh, to tackle this issue. Um, it was, I believe, two years ago the Joint Finance Committee rejected several key priorities to tackle this. Now they did agree on focusing on firefighting foam, which is what the committee members and a lot of experts who testified say is kind of the biggest problem right mm -hmm. now is the PFAS um, in that that is now kind of leading to a much larger problem across the state. Um, but even we had, you know, a bill that uh, passed the Senate, but it didn't clear the assembly. So this has kind of been a long time coming, uh, but it just remains to be seen if Coles can actually convince top Republicans to take this matter up. He's got a couple of hurdles. One is convincing his fellow Republicans. Two is getting one who's in a position to put money in the budget. To do something about it. Go back a few years ago, John Nygren, a Republican from Marinette, was co-chair of the Finance Committee. Marinette was one of the first places we found PFAS contamination. The waterways can be a huge issue. Even Nygren, as co-chair of Finance, had a hard time getting stuff into the budget to address this issue or get bills passed his colleagues because they were somewhat skeptical of, well, it's not in my backyard. I don't get why this is a big deal. We're seeing more Republicans who control the legislature, which means they control the purse strings, um, getting involved and saying, okay, I'm seeing it now in my backyard. 
We're seeing them in northern Wisconsin, other places going, okay, this is an issue. How do you get somebody, though, to pick up the baton from Kohl's and say, I want to put this in the budget? That means a member of finance. That would be important to get somebody, and not just one, but you've got 12 Republicans on finance. Get a majority of them to get with you. That's going to be a challenge. Um, we're still waiting to see if they can, that can happen. Also, during that hearing, Eric Wimberger, for example, probably from Green Bay, kind of took shots at the DNR about, like, look, you're hypocritical talking about this PFAS stuff here, but you've got this standard over here that's also allowing pollution. Like, what's, you know, you're undercutting your own argument. So there's still some skepticism, I think, about this issue among Republicans. They, they know it's serious, but there's also word about the cost to re remediate it, the cost of the paper industry, which could be huge. I mean, there's stuff like that that's still a, a giant hurdle for people. Yeah, there was also an expert from UW-Madison that talked about just even when you do detect PFAS, how difficult it is to break down and to get rid of it completely. And she also just talked about the massive amount of money that it's going to cost. And there's not really a one-fix solution right now. Now, there's, there's people talking about it across this, you know, across the country and even overseas, but that's the big uh, sticking point right now. And the, one of the key things is what's an acceptable level of contamination, right? So there's some people saying, look, you can't even test the standard you're talking about. We're not sure we can test to make sure that's what's there. So how can you tell us you got to spend all this money to clean up to that standard if we can't tell that standard? It's just, it's still a little tricky situation for advocates right now. All right, now let's move on to the latest in the state Supreme Court race. We had a complaint filed the against uh, the liberal candidate, uh, Janet Protosiewicz, for her comments. She's been one of the most outspoken candidates uh, about abortion, redistricting, and other issues. Uh, so the state Republican Party filed this complaint, arguing and accusing her that she is going against the judicial code of conduct. Now, this is a little tricky because, uh, you know, you have to really pledge or promise to do something that you would take action on a specific case if, you, if she was elected on the high court. And Jer, you know, looking at past challenges, there was one in 2008 that kind of proved how mm -hmm. difficult this can be. Well, in these cases, they're talking about comments that she made during a forum that we hosted um, of all four candidates about abortion, or sorry, that one was about the maps being quote unquote rigged. rigged. Mm -hmm. Then also another TV interview about abortion. In both cases, she said, I can't tell you how I'm gonna rule on a case but these are my values. So is she giving herself cover about the judicial code? And is the code itself, well, it's so scrutiny, number one, legally, and two, will there actually be a action on this complaint? So let's kind of game this out using the 08 case. In 2008, Michael Gableman uh, ran against then Justice Louis Butler for the Supreme Court. Gableman ran a TV ad in that campaign that said, Butler, while working as a defense attorney, defending a sex offender, found a loophole, quote unquote, allowed this person to offend again. Now what happened in that case actually was that Butler did raise an issue in arguments with the Supreme Court saying the rape shield law would have been violated in this case. The court said, yeah, you're right, but we're not gonna let this guy out. He served his full term, then he offended again. So the ad was misleading at the very least. The code says you can't make a false misleading statement about a, a judge or an opponent kind of thing. This went, judicial commission filed it, there's a complaint filed, commission took this up, recommended charges against Gableman, the Supreme Court is the ultimate arbiter in uh, complaints against judges at all levels, including themselves. In that case, Gableman recused himself from the uh, case because he was involved, right? Couldn't sit on it. The three liberals at the time said, yes, this violates the code. There should be proceedings, there should be some punishment. The three conservatives said, no, this does not because it's a First Amendment issue, you can't, you can't go forward. They deadlocked, end of story. Okay, let's gain this out. 
if Protasevich wins or Everett Mitchell wins, you're going to have probably, Protasevich would have to recuse herself, right? 3-3 three, three again. Would we see this breakdown via tribe, i.e. liberal versus conservative or viewpoint? If Kelly or Doro wins, they would probably have to recuse as well, right? Because they were involved in this race. Again, you're leaving the court. So I'm trying to guess, it's a very difficult hurdle to climb. Even if the court tried to punish her, there's the First Amendment. These codes in other states have been struck down because of First Amendment rights. So there's a long way to go. What it does for Republicans, though, is say, look, she's quote unquote under investigation. They can kind of talk that up to the grassroots and play up this issue. But in reality of going somewhere, uh, people are kind of skeptical it's going to be a, a big deal anytime soon. Yeah, uh, Protosewitz, a campaign spokesperson, uh, said that this is very just politically motivated. Um, it's also, you know, worth noting that these cases typically even at the national level for U.S. Supreme Courts, those challenges to recuse justices from certain cases are rarely successful. Um, so we'll wait to see what happens. But, um, you know, even if Protosewitz doesn't even make it to the bench, this will kind of just almost just go away. But like you mentioned, there could be additional challenges. Um, now let's kind of reverse and talk about the conservatives in the race because both of them, Kelly and Doro, um, are on uh, the airwaves and new uh, ad buys. Now, Doro is kind of trying to capitalize as she was the presiding judge in the Waukesha Christmas Parade. Uh, that's what her ad is kind of focusing on. And then Faircourt's America, who released a radio ad by last week, is now up on the airwaves for Dan Kelly, kind of touting his record and highlighting his endorsements from sheriffs across the state. And what the Journal Sentinel uh, reported this week is that they haven't really thrown a lot of blows at each other, but on conservative radio, they kind of have taken mm -hmm. spats at each other here and there. Um, according to the JS, Kelly is now refusing to say whether he would endorse if Duro makes it through the primary. Meanwhile, Duro said, well, I would. So there's kind of a political strategy mm -hmm. to that too, uh, as well. Well, look at the numbers. So Duro's got radio and TV up now. Uh, she's not said how much she's spending. My sources have told me the first buy was $130,000 combined, TV and radio. Um, Faircourt's America has said it's doing $250,000 on radio, another $500,000 on TV. That's a lot more than what Doro is spending, right? We've also not seen Kelly's personal ads, right? So that'd be another layer. Faircourt's America says it's going to spend seven figures at the primary, so there's more to come, apparently. The question I've been asking people is, is Doro's buy, combined with her name ID from the Walkshaw Christmas Bridge trial, and a friendly reception on talk radio enough to offset the disparity with, with resources from Fair Courts America? The answer has been maybe if it stays positive. The word among conservatives is this gets negative, not just in their spats about whether I'll endorse you or not, but actual like going after Doro. There are things like she worked as a criminal defense attorney. She d defended some people who are not very nice. You could use that in an ad sometime. Would you see an ad like that come out of Fair Courts America or out of Kelly? Um, we don't know yet. But the fear is among conservatives that whoever gets out of the primary, assuming that one of those do, because remember it's four people, top two get out no matter, you know, not liberal conservative for sure, that that person will be battered and bruised and have a harder time beating Portisavich or Mitchell in the general election. So we're watching that very closely. Also, don't forget that talk radio thing. As somebody told me this week, when's the last time talk radio lost a primary for Republicans in Wisconsin? Now, they're not like full in for Doro, but... Mark Belling, for example, has been calling on Kelly to get out of the race. I mean, he's a voice in talk radio. It's not as powerful as it once was in GOP primaries, but still a potent force in a voter-rich environment in southeastern Wisconsin for conservatives. 
to turn out in February. Yeah, and now what this means is that you'll be seeing ads out of all three of mm -hmm. those candidates that we mentioned. And the only one who has not been able to get up on air due to money mm -hmm. uh, likely is Everett Mitchell, the other liberal candidates. And so that primary will narrow it down to two on February 21st. And speaking of elections, now let's look ahead to April because now there's a challenge to the two ballot referendums that we've talked about before that will appear for voters, or at least what it's poised to be on the ballot in April is one that is related to bail laws and one that uh, deals with welfare reform. Now, the welfare reform one is non-binding, but the bail, if that passes, that would change the Constitution to amend it to give judges more discretion when considering and setting bail amounts. Now, this lawsuit was brought by criminal justice advocacy groups uh, called EXPO, WISDOM, which EXPO stands for Ex-Incarcerated People Organizing. Uh, they're pretty well known in the state here, but the suit argues that these measures were not delivered on time to the the correct election officials to get them on the ballot in time. So remains to be seen if this challenge is successful, um, but kind of an attempt to uh, not, I guess, uh, gin up Republican base, which you know some political insiders have, have been hoping for. So we talked before, there was a deadline to deliver this to the Elections Commission. Um, the lawsuit argues that the commission is not the right place to send a statewide referendum. It must go to the clerks who prepare the ballots. The Elections Commission has done this for a long time, where they take these things and put them together or handle the referendums. They even note in their memo to clerks about these referendums, there may be some confusion over a phrase in state law about providing the referendum to those who, who basically create the ballots. But we're the place you go to. We're the ones who handle statewide referendums. I'm not a lawyer, I'm not gonna tell you how it's gonna play out. Think keep in mind though is March, mid-March, I think you're on the 13th, that's the deadline for county clerks to send ballots to local clerks for the April election. If this is not done, in time for that, what happens? So you've got a little bit of a deadline here that like we've got, you know, eight weeks, 10 weeks, that's done, but we've got a deadline, or sorry, not, not, not that much, but we have a deadline coming up to get this thing done, this legal thing out of the way, to be able to print ballots for the April election. And let's now move on to looking ahead to 2024. We just uh, learned this week that there will likely be a presidential Republican debate in Milwaukee. Now, of course, Milwaukee is going to be hosting the big Republican National Convention. And this week, Ronna McDaniel, the chair of the RNC, was in town kind of promoting uh, that the you know, it will be taking place. But what she said exactly is that it will um, expect a debate. Mm -hmm. uh, now, there was kind of some rumors before if that was going to happen, but this is pretty typical that they want to have, you know, these type of debates ahead of a convention. Um, let's just take a listen from McDaniel, her, uh, from, from a, a quote herself, just talking about kind of the excitement about this and how she believes in, uh, that the party will be able to reunite, to uh, reunite, excuse me, regardless of who the nominee is. Let's take a listen. I think we're going to have the smoothest ride to the nomination you've ever seen for our party. Listen, I, I, I don't know. I, we can't look into that crystal ball. What I do know is once the nomination's done and once we come here to Milwaukee, we're going to unite as a party and come together towards November. And that's part of having a good convention, having planning in place. Our debate process is going to be uh, announced pretty soon as well. Our primary process is in place. I would expect to have a debate here in Milwaukee. So those are things that we're already putting in place. This is just once again, great news for Milwaukee, even more exposure for them as well. So keep in mind, we're talking about a, pri a primary debate. Those should start sometime this summer. <laughs> we are basically a year away from the first votes oh, being cast. No. <laughs> Take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> so 
But they began in the summer of 15, the last time they went through this process for Republicans. So it could be summer, fall. Um, they want to get these things in before people start voting. So the question is, when would they come here? And oh, by the way, the mayor, part of the news conference, made a pitch to Republicans, hey, we're going to host your convention. Maybe she'd have some more resources to <laughs> provide police protection and services. The people are going to come flock to Milwaukee and see our largest city. I did see him in the Capitol halls uh, this week as well. Him and uh, ex Milwaukee County Executive David Crowley have been trying to lobby for this for a very long time, but they're still doing those meetings and still trying to get the word out of how much this would mean to them if they were able to boost uh, their sales tax by 1%. All right, now let's talk about uh, what used to be controversial and what the Legislative Black Caucus is hoping is not uh, controversial this year. And we're talking about the Black History Month resolution. It is February, so celebrations are kicking off across the state. So a little bit of background. These resolutions have been introduced, mm -hmm. I would say the past three or four years, all of a sudden became controversial because of who they were including in their resolutions. For example, former NFL quarterback Colin Kaepernick, who became you know, a, a sensation for kneeling during the mm -hmm. national anthem. So a lot of Republicans just took issue with that. They didn't say it was a race thing, but it kind of turned into this you know, whole, or whole ordeal every time on the floor uh, in February. But this year, uh, the new caucus leader, uh, Representative Dora Drake, is trying to take a different tone. Who they're including would include uh, seven people, including the state's first black woman, to become a major general in the U.S. Army Reserve and its first black appeals court judge. So, you know, you could review all these names, but that's kind of their hope now is that, you know, let's not make this controversial, let's honor these individuals. So I asked uh, Resident Drake, you know, was there a conscious effort by members of the caucus to avoid Colin Kaepernick or Jacob Blake? And she said, no, we collected names, everybody threw, put the names forward, and these are the ones we want to give their just due for what they've done. Um, it just so happened, these people aren't mm -hmm. there. Now, the question becomes, how will the Republicans kind of look at this? It was just drafted this week, it's being circulated now. In the past, like for the last session, Julian Bradley, who was Republican, uh, the only black Senate Republican lawmaker in Wisconsin for Franklin, he put out his own resolution that talked about the slave trade, didn't mention the individuals that passed the Senate when Democrats tried to get their resolution passed, it was blocked. Um, will there be an effort like that? Well, this is gonna be more palatable for Republicans because you don't have a Colin Kaepernick or Jacob Blake. Scott Allen, Republican from Waukesha, he had proposed his own resolution a few years back that highlighted 10 people, I think, who helped free slaves to the Underground Railroad in Wisconsin. Of those, I think six were white. That did not sit well with some people. I uh, asked his office, is he gonna do his own resolution this year? They said no. So this may be more of a, or less of a controversy this time after some very tense debates in which black lawmakers have chafed the idea of white Republicans telling them who you can honor for a month is supposed to honor black Americans. And, you know, some uh, leaders that I talked to um, also said, you know, we're trying to also um, just try to, you know, not have so much divisiveness yeah. this year. I know that we've even talked about this, too, about, you know, we're hoping to see more bipartisan bills. Now, of course, there's still going to be veteran lawmakers that push a lot, a lot of bills. For mm -hmm. example, Senator Andre Jacques, he wants to always, you know, be the best on the record for mm -hmm. drafting as many bills as possible, but not a lot of them get through the process, even though, you know, he's a Republican. But this can maybe, in a sense of what I'm hearing, just trying to set the tone, you know, Governor Evers is going to be here for another four years, and let's not send him a bunch of bills. Now, I know this is a resolution 
resolution. But yeah. it kind of just shows the trend that we've been seeing so far of this legislative session of people trying to get together and send bills to the governor that he will at least consider before he's at a press conference and already vowing to veto them. I'm watching for Republicans to get more Democrats as co-sponsors on their right. bills because if you want to get a Democrat governor to sign your bill, having Democratic support would help, not just a vote in the Assembly or the Senate, but actually getting a co-author on record who is a Democrat that can help your cause. And it also ex excites us as journalists, <laughs> right? Look at bipartisan support. Um, all right, let's also talk about a name that we haven't talked about on the show in quite some time, which is Michael Gableman. Of course, he was the one that was picked to lead the election review in Wisconsin, which is now a failed task. He wasn't able to finish it because mm -hmm. Assembly Speaker Robin Foss uh, eliminated his contract. And JR, you did an in-depth analysis about where the legal bills stand. Now, on this slide, we have a lot of numbers up here, but I'm just gonna explain some yeah. of the highlights. So assembly Republicans of what you found have now spent 1.5 million for private attorneys working on those lawsuits that were seeking records to Gableman's review. And that is just separate from the over 525,000 spent on the probe itself. So this is once again, just showing just of how much this is all going to cost. The probe is over, but the, the tab continues mm -hmm. and it's gonna continue for a while. And looking at these legal bills, remember there were two cases in which the judges in Dane County ordered the assembly via taxpayers to cover attorney's fees for American Oversight, a Washington, D.C.-based group. In one case, they have, from what I can tell, they've already spent more to appeal that decision, to fight that decision, than they would have paid if they just paid the bill the day they got it from the judge for $197,000. Um, there's a second case around 98 grand for legal bills. They're about 40K to what they spent trying to fight that one. There's a third case where they just had a motion filed by American Oversight seeking legal fees. You add those three together, you're at 450 grand for legal fees possibly could be in the hook for, we as in taxpayers. That's in addition to $525,000 for the investigation. That's addition to 1.5 and counting the legal bills. This is becoming an expensive proposition, but I don't sense Republicans are shying away from it. Uh, Robin Voss told us in August actually, after he won uh, his primary, they were gonna fight this on principle. They thought it was inappropriate for the Dane County judges to award legal fees. They thought the ordering of um, what they called investigative records being turned over was inappropriate. They're fighting for a principle. It's costing taxpayers a bit of money right now. And it's almost a stay tuned to see yeah. uh, what that bill will be at the end of the day. All right, let's get to stock picks this week. And rising is the gubernatorial race spending because it is shattered previous mm -hmm. records of how much the race between Governor Tony Evers and Republican candidate Tim Michaels in total spent. Well, Wisconsin Democracy Campaign does this with all races. Um, we saw an increase of 76% in spending by candidates and outside groups in this race, north of $160 million. Look, I keep thinking money is a finite resource and that there's some limit to how much we spent. That is not happening anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, we are a purple state that's very important. It probably helped drive spending in Wisconsin that our place in the presidential pecking order. Um, who is governor sets the stage for what laws might be in place in terms of election administration come 2024, had Tim Michaels won, that would give Republicans basically carte blanche to change laws in Wisconsin, how we do elections. That was a pitch for Evers to national donors of, I'm an important backstop against these things. And just outside groups are getting more and more involved. It's just going to be more and more expensive, which raises the question, the Supreme Court race. I was just gonna bring that up. <laughs> what are they gonna spend? Yeah. The record is $10 million roughly in 2020 being between Karofsky and Kelly. Um, about half and half between groups and the candidates. The state Democratic Party, though, is on Twitter constantly saying, we have a fundraising deadline. 
look what's at stake, Supreme Court race. I'm seeing other national groups tweeting about the race and like, we need to get resources there because what's at stake, abortion, redistricting, et cetera. Um, Act 10, Scott Walker's interachievement, could that be overturned? Voting laws too. Yeah, so all this is coming to a head. We're seeing more and more money come in. And oh, by the way, there are other races, other states in, Wisconsin, in the nation this year. There's no swing state, the statewide race, this kind of importance, especially with the Supreme Court, that could be asked again in 2024 to weigh in on what happens if we are once again a race within uh, result of the presidential race. All right, and mixed this week in co is Congressman Derek mm -hmm. Van Orden. So a uh, Cook Global Report is like a, a kind of a prognosticator type publication, tracks things in DC. They came the first ratings for the third congressional district for 2024 and made it a likely Republican. So you have toss up, lean, likely, and solid. Talking to some people that might be a little bit aggressive um, rating for Republicans because he only won by four points after Democrats didn't really spend in Western Wisconsin that race this past year. At the same time, you know, give Van Orden some credit, people tell me. He was kind of a bomb thrower on social media through the course of the campaign, mixed up with Mark Pocan constantly. He's taking a much different tact since he became a uh, congressman. He's, wants to, he's on the Ag Committee. He's got a subcommittee chairmanship. He wants to be more bipartisan. He's reaching out to people. He's doing things you would do when you realize, I can't be that guy I was in the campaign trail if I want to win re-election in 2024. Now, um, keep in mind, if Donald Trump is the nominee for Republicans in 2024, it may not be good for them statewide, but it could be good for Van Orden because Trump drives things in Western Wisconsin. And we have to go down the rabbit hole because we do with this show with me. Um, <laughs> Don't forget about the Supreme Court race and the implication for redistricting. Now, the legislative maps we talk about most of the time when it comes to the Supreme Court race because the court said least change approach to maps approved by Republicans in 2011, right? For the foundation of these maps. The congressional maps are somewhat different. They were a bipartisan proposal from the delegation essentially that Republicans took and passed. So maybe harder to make an argument against them, but you could see those tossed out. The rabbit hole we're going down is if you are a Democrat, if a liberal wins the Supreme Court, if you get a successful challenge in the maps, if you get a chance to redraw them without like any restrictions, as a Democrat, do you try to make the third more democratic or the first more democratic? Do you try and go for a 4-4 map? Um, we are 6-2 Republicans right now. You could get to 5-3 pretty easily. Do you push it for 4-4? You can't get to 6-2 Democrat. I don't think. I mean, I... Dane County would be a pie, essentially, even get close to that. But I'm taking out a rabbit hole of there are lots of things to consider about Van Orden and his prospects for 24 between now and next fall. And keep in mind, also, will Brad Paff run again? Rebecca Cook is talking about running again. Who would step forward and who will raise the money? Because he's a pretty good fundraiser. You know, it's going to be not be easy to take him out. It'll be interesting to watch. And falling this week is medical marijuana because right when we thought there could be a possibility, uh, there was Senate Majority Leader Devin Lemonyu that had some reserves about it. Then he said, I think I actually have the votes in the Senate among Republicans. Assembly Speaker Robin Voss for a very long time said he'd be open to it. So everyone thought this was going across the finish line. And then just recently uh, during a WISN interview, Voss kind of tossed water, hot water uh, on the whole proposal. I don't think it's dead dead though. And let me tell you why. So in talking to some Republicans this week, the impression I got was that there is a question about where the new members are in the Assembly uh, Republican Caucus on this issue. There's 34 they, new ones, yeah. Uh, yes, you have lots of new Republican members. Where are they? And so Voss may be saying to um, 
co-authors, backers, you have to get out and work these new folks to figure out where they are now. The key is the new Republican lawmakers, not the ones in the entire chamber, but Republicans have a rule and have for years. They're going to pass anything. It's going to have majority. It's going to have all 50 votes from the Assembly Republican Caucus to go to the floor. They are not going to pass a bill with 45 Republicans and six Democrats, for example. So you have to get 50 Republicans. That means backers, you have to go out and work these folks, see where they're at, what concerns they have, and try and bring them on board. So uh, I don't think it's a good sign for medical marijuana. I don't think it's a dead issue between now and then the session if, 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 because what Voss said was, I don't think we'll get there unless you can find consensus. Right. That's a message for members who want this, go find consensus. So wait and see approach, yes. I guess. All right, well, that will do it for this week. Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Emily Fannin. And I'm J.R. Ross. We'll see you next week. This program was brought to you from Wisconsin Eye's Margaret Farrow Studio. Rewind, your week in review, is sponsored by the Wisconsin Realtors Association, bringing Wisconsin communities to life with great homes, businesses, and neighborhoods. The Wisconsin Realtors Association, the voice of real estate.